This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup cross-country event, which is taking place in the beautiful Canadian Rockies, March 20th to the 22nd. Not only can you see the best racers in the world battle it out to hoist those giant crystal globes and their beauties, let me tell you, not that I know, I don't have any, but I've seen them. But don't just sit on the stands and cheer on the athletes. There's so many amazing events that are going on around the town of Camor throughout the whole weekend of celebrations. Chandra Crawford's Fast and Female organization will be hosting its ever-popular champ chat for 100 girls on Saturday, March 21st. Another Olympic champion that just happens to live in paradise, Camor, Alberta, is Becky Scott, whose organization, Spirit North, will have so many amazing events. You can see powwow, dancing, drumming, and she'll be at the opening ceremonies. It's going to be a celebration not to be missed. Listen, Camor, Alberta is the absolute best town on planet Earth. Take it from me, one of the most biased people you will ever hear from. I love Camor. I live in Lillehammer. I miss Camor every day. If you like cross-country skiing and you want to see the best racers in the world, gun to tape, annihilate, hoist the globes, have fun, maybe have some free Gruyere cheese samples, all while taking in the amazing hospitality of Alberta and Camor itself, get your butts to the Alberta World Cup. You can find all the details at albertaworldcup.com. This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. This is our post-Stage 5 wrap-up from the Ski Tour 2020. This was Stage 5 out of 6, which was a 1.5K classic sprint, on a championship caliber course in Trondheim, Norway. We start the show talking about the dismal snow conditions in much of Norway. Been a tough year for for Norway, especially Oslo's just vicious. Like I, I don't know what they're gonna do with Holmenkollen because there's no way they can do a 50k there. I mean, they're gonna have really. Oh no, there's no snow there at all. And then the artificial snow that they've put down already is just so dead and icy. And um, they have some snow still to 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 put out, but there's no way they could put a, a loop together that's wide enough or big enough for a 50K, I don't think. But you never know. But, I mean, it's coming up soon now. Move it to Susan. Yeah, they should. They should move it to Lillehammer. But the problem is, you know, the thing with moving home and colon is uh, with this insane fist schedule this year, right after home and colon, athletes are leaving to North America. So you have all the wax trucks and they have to organize all that gear to get to the airport. So you don't want to be too, too far from from Gardermoen, from the Oslo airport, uh, to start organizing that gear. And Oslo's a great, they have a lot of space up there to, for all the technicians to just organize the trucks and, and take what they need to take and blah, blah, blah. So <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. They're going to have a, gonna have a bit of a job when that, uh, comes. You never know. Maybe it'll snow 50 centimeters and then it'll be no big deal, but it's not looking good. <laughs> yeah, just kind of curious. Like, do you know what the underlying surface is at at home and colon? Yeah, what is it? It's well, it's just trails. Okay, it's uh, mo- mostly really on that on the on the home and colon loop, the eight point six. Yep, it, it's it's mostly just like a gravel road essentially or dirt road. Gotcha. It, it's not it's not a road, but I sure. mean that it's so it's so manicured now after that big reno that they did before the 2011 mm-hmm. world championships, it's very manicured under there. So they don't need a whole lot of snow, but they, they need snow. There's no snow. It's just bare oh, ground. Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. I haven't even looked. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do they see it? Is yeah. like, is it grass? Is it seated or just no, dirt? Oh no, it's, it's like gravel, dirt, dirt, gravel. Yeah. Okay. I want to take a slight 
Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about stage five, the classic sprint in Trondheim today. But before we get there, there was a guy in Hayward, Wisconsin from Norway, who's also a really great cross-country runner. Uh, have you checked the news out? Nicholas Deerhog. Yeah. I did see you won. Yeah, Deerhog won. Deerhog came over to the Birkin at the last minute. Uh, the Birkabiner, the American Berkey. Uh, he got the fever, and the only prescription was hopping on a plane and, and coming to join the party. I was impressed that he won. I was impressed that he won in a sprint, actually. I, yeah, I'm not, yeah. To be honest, I'm not that impressed that he won because, of course, he should win. I mean, he is he is better than the other athletes that were there. I mean, Bjornsson was there. I thought Bjornsson could have contended for the win, but, I mean, he was only three seconds down, so he most certainly could, was in the fight. Sure. Um, but yeah, that Nicholas came at such a, such a last minute. I mean, he, it's not like he's been in the U S preparing for weeks and, and organizing his whole season or, around, uh, the Berkey, like a lot of athletes do. He, he just essentially decided really late in the game that, oh yeah, sure. I'll take a swing at this and comes away with a win. And, and, uh, the hometown fans, the, the American fans like Ian Torchia had a great race to come second. I know that would have been nice for the hometown boy. That would have been great for him because he's had a tough season on the World Cup and, you know, he's so talented and he has such a great capacity and he came late to skiing actually compared to a lot of other mm -hmm. athletes that, you know, you keep hearing about people that were born with skis on their feet or whatever. That wasn't Ian. So, uh, but he just hasn't been able to break through in the World Cup. It just, it's just not working. I don't know. He's got to find something to, to make use of all that talent because it's in there and if he sticks with it and finds the key to unlock that uh, potential he'll be dangerous but fun to see him second just out sprinted by nicholas uh, deerhug and then you had the quote-unquote retired french skier duviard right. finishing out the podium but he's been doing so well in, in the skating loppets this year i mean i'm sure he's still training pretty much full-time just without the stress of the world cup weekends week in week out so no, it was fun. It was fun to follow along. I, I'm not going to lie. Like every year I've, I followed, I followed Berkey. I followed the Berkey uh, from afar and it's not something I'd ever really wanted to do myself to be perfectly honest. 55 K skating doesn't sound like a great time really? for me, but nah, not for me. And, and you know what? Th those, that ship is so long sailed, but I mean, my teammate Ivan has won it and he's a legend in, in that part of the world. So, <laughs> uh, so that's been fun. But Deerhog wins a mattress. Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah, I do. He wins like a fancy mattress. Yeah, I did know that. I did know that. He's going to have to get that hard. thing home. I don't know how he's going to get that thing home. And I mean, it reminds me of like way back in the days. There used to be some events up in northern Finland, Sweden, and Norway called Polar Cup. This is going way back, like before my time. It's probably like 30 years ago. And you, you'd hear there would be no prize money at these events, but like some of the stories from the old timers of what they would win were just hilarious. Like they'd win like a chainsaw or <laughs> or a fridge. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. So you ha if you're ever in conversation with some of the old, like really old American guys like uh, Bill Koch, or if you get a chance to talk to Marty Hall about that or anything. I mean, Kristen's, Kristen's dad's been involved with the Polar Cup a bit back when it was a thing and uh no it's just funny to think about an american winning a chainsaw and being like what am i gonna do how am i gonna get this thing home <laughs> anything in the bag anything still though it's heavy i mean it is heavy but you could have gotten through security like 20 yeah. years well 30 years ago with a chainsaw no no 40 years ago yeah no yeah exactly so no but a mattress is going to be a tough thing to to take home that's for sure it is maybe he'll work a deal out with torchia the money the money he won and um, 
and the prestige of being a Berkey winner that that, that won't be that hard to take home in his uh, in his luggage. Okay, lastly on this, have you are have you jumped into the Norwegian Berkey? I have never done the Norwegian Birkebeiner, and I will never do the Norwegian Birkebeiner either. <laughs> really, I'm dude, no, it's right there. I know, but off I'm, the couch. I'm I'm just no lopeteer. I'm just. I'm just not a real lopeteer. I love skiing and I'll, I'll ski, you know, I'll, uh, if I had the chance and the time, I mean, I'd ski 50, 60, 70 K at a time. I, I have a couple adventure skis on cross country skis, actually, that, that, that is on my list. That's right around here. You can actually do an amazing ski. It's about 95 K from Lillehammer over to a place called Ringebufjella. And, uh, there's actually a ski race there too. So I think it's called like the troll marathon or something troll race or something but anyways it's 95k and that that'd be kind of fun to do and maybe just bring a backpack and there's some uh dnt cabins which are like american alpine club or canadian alpine club cabins that's it's that's kind of uh like yeah you, you can rent them out and they're very simple there's bunks and but they have a propane stove and and utensils and pots and stuff like that so you just bring your food and um you can stay in them and there's a bunch of them all over norway so that'd be kind of fun and you can even there's no snow this year, so this is definitely not a possibility. But I'd really love to be able to just leave my house one day and and uh, ski to ski to Oslo and from Lillehammer. And to do that, I'd have to use skates actually and skate uh, on uh, Mjosa, the, which is the big lake here in Lillehammer. It's actually the biggest lake in Norway. Skate to the to the town of Jovik, which is where Ingvild's Ingve, from. Actually, is that, thirty. But that's south of you. Yeah, south. Okay. Yeah, it's south, yep. but it's about thirty k south. And skate down to Jovik put, with my skis on my back and then ski from Jovik to Oslo would be so fun. That'd be just such a great adventure. So yeah, there's some things on the list, but racing, racing the loppets and stuff like that. I think uh, I'll leave that to the master blasters. Like yeah, but, can- okay. Sunby has, Sunby has rocked the, the Berkey. Oh yeah. He's, he's yeah. won. He's yeah. won the Berkebiner. And I think, I think it would have been really fun to do a race like the Berkebiner, especially because it's there's some terrain like the Vassalopet, there's no way in hell you catch me doing the Vassalopet. Just like 90k of double pulling, like no thanks. But uh, but the Berkebiner has, which is now 54k of double pulling because they're so strong. But when I was an active athlete, it would have been great to jump in a race like the Berkebiner at least because it has so much history too, and there's some terrain. And um, but you know, it just collided every year with the World Cup calendar for me personally. And in the years that it could have worked, like I was really looking forward to getting back to Canada and backcountry skiing. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> so but something tells me, I don't know what this, the curriculum is like in Lillehammer, but something tells me that Astrid's going to ask you one day before she asks you about anything like world cup oriented. She'd be like, Oh dad, did you ever win the Berkey? <laughs> yeah. It's going to be hard to, yeah. I'll be like, absolutely. Not. <laughs> if asked Isabel asked me, if my daughter like asked me if I won the Berkebiner, I'd be like, absolutely not. But you know what? Her mom, her mom's never done the Berkebiner either. So we're, we're not the best, uh, Wow, we're not, Black we're, Sheep. Yeah, we're not the best Lillehammerites or, or whatever. I don't think we'll ever be welcomed into the community of Lillehammer anyways because... <laughs> right, right. Because you know what? Like, Lillehammer is a place that, like, it seems like it's a really... It's a community that's really proud of of Lillehammer. And then it's, like, generation, like, a really, like, old Europe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, my granddad's 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 from Lillehammer and had three sheep and blah, blah, blah. So... We're not, we're not that. So I don't know. Maybe it won't, maybe it won't come up. It's hard to know, but definitely not doing the Berkebiner is not helping us fit in. Let's, let's be honest. I'm sure. Okay. Um, speaking of people that fit in, 
God, I'm really working on these segues that are becoming like heavy-handed. People that fit in, Claybo fits in in his hometown in Tron time. He sure does. And takes that win, which was no surprise. But let's start with the guys' side. But they, the, the women and the men skied a 1.5K classic sprint today, stage five of the Ski Tour Canada. Um, the next last stage. First of all, it's Ski Tour 2020. I wish it was Ski Tour Canada. <laughs> Did I just say Let's Ski see, Tour I Canada? So. Did I, I even say so. that? But either way, I wish it was because there was great fans and what a venue. And uh, Sorry. No, I, I'm just joking. Well, I think you did say it, but, but um, that's okay. I, I'm not even, I'm not editing that out. Okay. I make mistakes. No, but it was a great, it was a great event today. And, and you know what, like the, the, the ski tour 2020 has taken some heat because of some organizational mishaps and this, that, and the other. But once they got to Trondheim, man, things were clicking. You know, the accommodations for the athletes was great. The atmosphere was fantastic. The conditions were amazing. They had a championship course. Uh, the world championships are coming to Trondheim in 2025, mm -hmm. which is just going to be pandemonium. It's going to be awesome. So if you're a cross-country ski fan and you really want to put something on your calendar, like once-in-a-lifetime experience, seeing those world championships live in a place like Trondheim was going to be absolutely unparalleled. And today, the atmosphere was great. And... Yeah, Claybo, like we talked about with Emil Everson in Marocker. I mean, Petter Nortug never got a chance. Well, he did, actually, but I don't think he... Yeah, he did a race in, in uh, Trondheim once. But, um, you know, it, it hasn't come. The World Cup doesn't come to Trondheim that often. And and Claybo made, made good use of uh, that opportunity, winning in his hometown in front of all those fans. What an atmosphere. And what a just great event all around. So... Uh, yeah, amazing sprint today. And Claybo was not to be touched in a qualification like we've seen so many times. Won by a couple seconds, 2.7, I think, 2.73 seconds or something. Um, and then in every heat, I mean, he was just, he was he was the stronger athlete. He's so good on his feet. You see how well he can blast into those corners and come out with so much speed in the corners. And today that was on full display, but it wasn't without drama. I mean, I know there wasn't much drama when you think, Norway goes one, two, three, four, five, and then poor Pellegrino is the only non-Norwegian in the final. He comes sixth. But there was some drama. And, you know, seeing Bolshinov fall like that, oh, God. I mean, he doesn't, I mean, I don't need to feel too bad for him. He's yeah, going to he win is. this thing Probably, pretty yeah. easily. But but still, but still, it's never fun to just see a silly mistake like that take him out of his chance for the final. And I, it was so weird how he fell too. I mean, that that's just bad luck. I, I don't know what you saw, but to me, it just looked weird. Yeah, I mean, I saw, I watched the replay a few times. I mean, he, yeah, just sort of, I expected when I, and I think they showed the fall up close, you know, after, you know, I'm looking at live results and I'm going back and watching and um, I expected there to be some like crash on a corner or what have you, but yeah, right there, 20, 30 meters from the line. A bummer no exactly yeah total bummer takes him out of the chance uh to contend in the final i mean he loses some seconds but it really doesn't matter like we said if he has if he has a day that's 70 percent as good as that 34k stage like he's just going to walk away with this pursuit it's in a stronger technique it's classic tomorrow but but still it would have been cool to see him in the final and then and then the the controversy ooh of the day was uh in the semi-final and then in the final like did did uh did volness like let up and let Paul beat him. Yeah, of course he did. He did. And he, he straight up said it. He's like, yeah, I did let up and let Paul beat me because Paul's our best guy in the overall. And of course, uh, <clears throat> Vegard Alvang, you know, he, you know, there's no school like the old school got all 
got all uh, upset about that and wasn't sure if that was even legal and this, that, and the other. And you know what? We've seen this movie before. My wife was actually involved in something exactly like this many moons ago in a sprint in, um, in Val Mushter when Ingveld w beat my wife for sure and then literally jammed on the brakes right at the line to let Kristen, because she was, Kristen was third, going to be third in that heat. And instead, Ingveld jams on the brakes. Kristen comes in in second, moves into the final because she was um, gunning for the overall and in a better position overall. Ingveld was super upset, like really bummed. But then she made the final anyway. So it, it was kind of a moot point because Ingveld advances to the final on time. And then at, at that time, Ingveld won. Uh, skate sprint my wife Kristen was fifth in the stage and you know what cross-country skiing is just not used to those types of tactics and I understand that I understand that but if we're really going to embrace a tour format there is nothing wrong with the team strategizing for the overall and Paul has been so strong this whole this whole season but in this tour he has shown that for the overall contention it's Paul Goldberg that's the ticket for the win and every second counts, especially against Bolshunov, and especially when it ends with a 30k classic pursuit. So, I mean, of course they talked about it. Of course, Arald and the boys talked about it. That if Paul's in striking distance, let him take let him take those valuable seconds. And Volnes did that. He still ends up on the podium. And in one sense, it is strange. I mean, in cross country skiing, we're not used to seeing guys let up and let a teammate beat them, but. These are tours. We can't forget that there's an overall competition going on as well. And like in cycling, <laughs> you do everything for your leader. And at this point in time, Paul Goldberg's the leader of the Norwegian team. And, you know, Klebo was so far ahead. That's why we're not even talking about him. But, but from everybody else, you know, good on Volnes for being professional and, uh, and letting up. And I know it looks kind of bad on TV and, and that sort of thing. But you know what? Like... If, if Fist is going to have all these races and all these tours and trying really to push this tour format, then they also have to understand that athletes are going to race a tour like a tour is meant to be raced with supporting a quote-unquote leader on your team if you're in the position like Norway is to support such such a move. Yeah, and like you said, it makes sense. I, I, I don't have it straight up in front of me, but he's something like 34 seconds behind uh, Boshinov going in the, into tomorrow's stage. Yeah. No, exactly. And I mean, yeah, it doesn't make a huge difference. I see that argument too. Like, come on, second or third, like really, what's the point? But if you're really racing it tactically and really going for the best overall and giving your leader, quote unquote, the best chance to win the overall, then every second counts. You never know what could happen. Bolshinov fell on his own today. Not because not he was stiff, not because he was all lactated out. Like he just had some bad luck. Anything can happen in a 30K and those seconds can come in handy. Is it your understanding that tomorrow's 30K pursuit is going to be a mass start and not like a true pursuit. It'll be more similar to like the the final stage in the Tour de Ski this year up the Alp where it was a mass start and you had to kind of determine like, okay, wait, who's actually winning here? Um, uh, you know what? Uh, this is funny because now now you're getting me like I'm a, I'm a little confused because I was I was I was sure it was an actual pursuit. No, it is. It is on the start list, uh, Jason. It is a standard pursuit, like an old school pursuit, and the wave and the wave goes at at five sixteen. And here's why we bring that up. And maybe that makes maybe that works great for the guys, right? Where times are a little bit closer, at least the first couple folks. Um, but on the women's side, you know, it's a fifteen k pursuit, 
And Heidi Vang is the closest person to Yohog. Is Heidi Vang at two minutes and 33 seconds back? Osberg, 234 back. And then... Is Ebba. Uh, like, more than two minutes further back is Ebba Henderson at 448 yeah, oh, for, for Sweden. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Jakob exactly. Asterson. Yeah. I could go on. Jakob Asterson, like, 530 back. So it makes for... There'll be no one in the shot, right? Except Yohog. Start list that I'm looking at is for the women... A, a, an actual pursuit so yes it will be boring it will be very boring unless you like just analyzing Teresa Yohag's technique because you'll have plenty of time with her with a two minute and 33 second lead that sounds so funny to say for sure but but you're right the wave on this official start list I'm looking at Krista Parmakowski is the first in the wave and the wave goes at 808 back from 13th think about that Jason you're looking at the updated start list. Yeah, I'm looking at the official start list right now. Oh my gosh. Okay. But, yeah. but you never okay. know, but they could change. Remember that crazy meeting they had the other, earlier in the season? That's like, ah. Yeah. Yeah, where they threw out the bonus points or or uh, time time bonus, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, not, we're not yeah, you're not getting uh time bonuses at the Tour de Ski anymore at the finish line. So, anything can happen, but what I'm looking at here is is yeah the wave in the the women's goes at 808 and that's from 13th so the the pursuit is actually just down to sadie <laughs> i feel the worst for someone like sadie sadie starts 753 off teresa but the wave starts at 808 so i mean like and sadie has 23 seconds up to haga she's she's not going to erase that in the time it's going to take for the wave to to swallow up sadie so Sadie's in a tough. Sadie's in a really tough place tomorrow to try and hold off a hard charging wave. That I mean, she won't be able to do that. I don't believe. And then in the in the men's field, it's a bit of the same kind of thing. But I mean, Sweden's big hope, Jens Berman, sitting in nineteenth. He's four forty one back, and the wave starts at five sixteen. Uh, De Fabiani's the best. Hey, we we should talk a little bit about De Fabiani's sprint today. Finally, a good race out of De Fabiani. That yeah, was good to see. Yeah, finally, been yeah. a rough season for him. Um. No, so so the men will be a little exciting. I guess the 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 race for third is quite open, um, but first and second it should be gone. But um, but for for the for the men's, you have Finn Hagen Crow has not done many classic races this year. He's sitting third at one thirty five back, and then you have Shurot at uh, one forty, Niang at one forty six, Claybo at two minutes even. That's only twenty five seconds off third in this tour. You have you have Kruger at two oh six, Holland at two eighteen. I mean the Norwegian Championship, which is happening tomorrow, <laughs> with one invite, with one invite of Bolshinov. Um, you know it will be interesting to see who lands that last bottle. Yeah. So I, I, here's a question: it, it looked like, and not that it bothered me at all, when Crow crossed the finish line today, he just kind of like tiptoed across. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And no one, I mean, just because he was chilling, he was like 80 miles ahead of the next person behind him. Was that just like, I'm letting up and yeah. soaking in the atmosphere? Maybe. But Finn, you, you just never know with Finny. <laughs> you never know what goes through his head. I mean, I think he's had just a fantastic tour. There was a little, quote unquote, little bit of controversy being like, should Finn have even been picked? And that was ridiculous. We'd covered that a few weeks ago. I mean, of course, sure. Finn's been so strong in the last few weeks. So great to see him sitting third in the tour, but it's ending on his worst event. A 30K Classic is not Finn Hagen Crow's best event. So I would be 
I'd be shocked if if Finn holds on for the podium. I, I don't think Finn will hold on for top five and because uh, the classic skiers behind him are just too strong. But we'll never know. It'll be interesting for those that love Norwegian cross-country skiing. They'll be from the men's side of things tomorrow. There'll be a lot of excitement. Um, and other than that, it'll be a, kind of what we've been seeing all year, which is really just Norway and, and, and a couple Russians. So I don't know. A lot of Norway. Yeah, a lot of Norway. Way, in this too, way too much Norway here. Um, as good as they are, they're great skiers, and you know all the power to them. It's not. It's not their fault. They're better. It's. It's the rest of the world's fault. It's Germany's sure. fault for not even coming. How about that? We'll come back to that. God, that just drives me nuts. Wow. It just drives me nuts that they're not even coming to the ski tour. Like, Jesus. Yeah. Maybe there should be like some sort of fist fine if you don't buy into certain events like this. I mean, you you start a certain percentage of other races that you get dinged starts or who knows how you would incentivize. Yeah, they tried to do something like that. And then it was so much blowback. So I understand because smaller teams don't have the budget, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, just to, to if, if this is supposed to be a, a shining star of the season and you're missing a whole team like Germany, that's uh, just. Yep. Yeah, I, we've covered that already, but it, but it, it does it does weird me out. And, you know, uh, Pellegrino today after the race was very critical of of uh, of Fiss going like we have way too many of these events and and in seasons that don't have a championship, like our armchair fans just have an impossible time following <laughs> oh, along. <sure. laughs> when you have like the tour to ski, you have the tour to ski, then you have ski tour twenty twenty, then you have mini tours, then you have a sprint tour at the end of the season, then you have like just all this stuff going on. And you have to be a real, you have to really dork out to have a total handle on, on the points and how it's all structured. And, you know, I don't know, Fis, Fis has a, Fis has a fairly big job, I think, to try and, I don't want to say right the ship because they're doing a lot of things right. But. Yeah. I mean, to their credit, I do feel like they're, they are, yeah, there was that funky sprint format in stage three, but still it's like, okay, they're trying something different. They're mixing it up. No, no, for um, sure. You know, they tried the point to point. Mother Nature didn't cooperate. No, but they still had a great event, right? Like, I think we yeah, should really did. tip our hat I, for that. I mean, it was awesome. You, I think we should really tip our hat to to the organizers of Ski Tour 2020 to to salvage such a great race like that because it could have just been so easy to just uh, let's just do a 15k again. You know what I mean? So it was cool that they pulled that off, and and then Trondheim. I think it's just, uh, it's these athletes are lucky to have an opportunity to race in Trondheim like this. It's great. It's it, it's a great. Uh, no, it's it's a great great venue. Okay, on the women's uh, side, um, a couple of cool, I think, compelling thoughts. And before we get to, I mean, Mike and it was great to see her like on form and very motivated today. Oh, for sure. I was actually really interested in the Mike and Mike in the Mike and <laughs> in Mike's race today because in her qualification, I have to say, mm -hmm. Jason, I was like a little surprised. I I, I kind of didn't put her, I didn't peg her as one to watch for today. She kind of got lit up in the qualifier and and even in her quarterfinal, she was she I mean she was driving the pace, but I she looked strong. But I'm like, man, is this is this too much too early? You know, like she didn't look like she was skiing. Like Claybo, for example, in his quarterfinals, he just looks so relaxed. Like he's gonna move through. Mm -hmm. He has all this confidence, right? And Mike in her quarterfinal today, I was felt like she was skiing like very aggressive and and very like she was on. And I'm like, man, this is kind of like someone skiing this quarterfinal like it's a final, almost to like make sure she moves through. But you know what? I was mistaken because that's just how you ski if you're having a day like Mike in was. She she did that in the semi in the final. She was so strong. And comes away with the win, her first win in a couple months. Yeah. So that that was uh, that was 
great if you again if you're a Norwegian fan, it was great. But what a great podium! You have Sundling, uh, who had a great day all around, won the qualifier and and was skiing beautifully. Comes second, and then Fenrik third from Switzerland. Yeah, on Peltman's Jason on Peltman's. Oh, see, I didn't even so check that out. Oh, gotcha. I, I mean, just the very fact that she was on the podium was spectacular. But that sort of like is an asterisk. Oh, that's a total. I mean, the fact that she she comes third on Peltman's, she might as well have won four sprint cups. I mean, that's how good she is. I'm just joking. That's a that that's that's a, that's harsh. But she's the only World Cup skier on Peltman. That's that's what I'm saying. People like the techn like, like the gear geeking out. I think so. I I, I mean, twenty years ago, that was a reputable ski to throw down. Oh, for sure. I mean, they they've had, you know, it is really niche brand, and um, Finland is a skiing crazy country as well. They love skiing, and there used to be tons of these niche Finnish ski brands. You had Karu, you had Jarvanen, you had Peltman. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, on the World Cup today. Fenwick is the only skier on Peltman that is consistently week in, week out on the World Cup. I know every once in a while there's some no-name Finn, sorry, that uh, might get a chance to do one race a season on Peltman. But other than that, Fenwick is the only athlete on Peltman. So uh, that's why I made that little joke. I mean, I mean that that is impressive. But she skied super, super well. And yeah. uh, great to see her. Great to see her on the podium. And great to see her, like, the one lone Central European in this final. Um, she still has a cross on her flag, but it's like the, a different, it's it's set up a little differently than, <laughs> than all the other crosses around her. <laughs> true. So, it's centered in the middle. It's centered. Exactly. It's centered in the middle. Exactly. But it was great to see uh, Fenrik ski so well today. She was great in the qualifier too. And uh, you mentioned that you talked to, to Matt. Did he say anything about the, the women's skis? Because I saw it on TV they they didn't look great with the glide, but it was a tricky condition today. Some snow came, it was glazing. It wasn't just totally straightforward, but from uh from my eyes, it looked like the looked like the American women today just didn't have the skis to compete. Yeah, he was. Um, I mean, and anyone can go on and listen to the audio. I post the audio like straight up in the in the story. Um, yeah, I would say felt like. It, that was not necessarily the issue. Okay. You know, I felt like he, he thought it wasn't a, a, a real, wasn't a real disadvantage for them. I, I will say what I noticed, um, I didn't necessarily miss slipping. What I noticed on the two long glide outs on that course. Uh, the skis look slow. The skis look slow to yeah. me. And you know what? If you have one athlete with skis that look a little slow, maybe they ask for more grip, right? That's what people don't understand. You know, it's like, well, they're all on the same team. How can their skis be different? But, you know, athletes ski on different brands and and brands react differently with different snow conditions and winter sport is so messed up that every day is a different condition so sometimes someone on fisher has great skis from a team and someone on rosinol has a tougher day and and the opposite is true um but today what i noticed on those long gliding sections when they're just sitting in a tuck i didn't like to see that a lot of the a lot of the american women in their heats and and different american women on different brands Looked to me like their skis were slow, but regardless, they didn't move through. We had no Americans in the semifinal, which is a very, uh, which is very unusual. I have to say, mm-hmm. even though even though Sadie and Sophie were th- were third in their heats uh, in the quarterfinals, but uh, no, I just I it looked like they were they were lacking some glide from from my position. But I mean, it's easy to it's easy to quarterback from the couch. You know what I mean? I wasn't I, exactly. I wasn't there, but. Compared to the teams around them, maybe the other teams just had amazing skis. But 
anyway. That's how I justified it. I was like, well, maybe they just are, you know, have dynamite skis, you yeah, know, exactly. and they're just a half a percent, percent better. And, you know, they gain yeah. a second on that glide out. Yeah. Um, another interesting that I thought was pretty cool because she is just unstoppable. And we've talked about the time back uh, and the overall is Yohog qualifying in third. Oh, yeah. That was that was something else, eh? Yeah. And that's a real sprint course. I mean, this is going to be, like I said, they'll probably have some small changes going into the world championships there. But this is a championship style sprint course. And and Teresa qualifies third in a real sprint course. That, uh, that Wow. I But you know what? Here's what I'll say about that. That 34K, it was so windy. The TV did not do that justice of how windy mm-hmm. that stage was. And it was long. We talked about Parmakowski uh, hitting the wall. A lot of athletes, a lot of athletes in that women's field felt that 34k. I feel like, and one rest day is fine, but it's you know it's not everyone's going to bounce back after that. It's a long season, like we've talked about. There's just been so many races, lots of travel. Uh, but Teresa Yohag, you know how long it takes her to bounce back from a 34k? I don't know, like 15 minutes. I mean, like she, yeah. she recovers, she recovers instantly. So, you know, I. She skied beautifully. She executed really well. She was a little frantic in their semifinal. We can get back to that in a second. But in her qualification, I really think it really played into her favor that that 34K took took it out of a lot of people in that field. And Tedez is just like probably feels fresh as a daisy compared to all her competitors. So, but still qualifying third, amazing. Okay, so here here's just something be uh, to touch upon just as a side note. You know, I mentioned the Bjorgen kind of research that had been done, uh, you know, posted maybe in 2019, there was another paper in 2017 and they've looked at her training cycle when she was pregnant and um, after giving birth, you know, where they've had access to all of her logs. And I I did have a conversation, someone made a comment and we were, I went back and kind of looked at those articles again. And this sort of piggybacks on the recovery piece. One of the things that's, I think, you know, missing from sure, like we could get Jesse Diggins log. Well, we can't, but if we got Jesse Diggins training logs, right, or Bjorgens for that matter, or Yohogs, what's not necessarily in there is like, oh yeah, I went to the, a massage therapist four times that week. They did this, this, and that, and you know, took a jacuzzi. I have no idea. Whatever it is, I had. I have a live-in chef. You know, all those little things that fill in those holes about recovery, replenishment. Yeah. Like what is it like for a Yohog besides just, I know like certain athletes have an aptitude to bounce back faster. What else is going on? I mean, she's just a legend. She's just a legend like that, Jason, honestly, like her life. I think her life is like, like I was talking about the other day, like quite frankly, I don't think I could live like two days in her life. I'd be crushed. So she trains, she trains a lot, but she has a lot of in periods, like a lot of obligations outside of skiing as well. Uh, so she's just a, she's just kind of like a freak in nature, I think, but, uh, but you're absolutely right in, in highlighting that. And I think this is something that the discussion gets missed a lot with young coaches and young programs is everyone just gets so obsessed about the training, like the, the train, like the training logs, the, like the plan, but you know what, by and large, I mean, if you just start doing the math, if you were to train three hours a day for 300 days a year how many hours is that that's 900 hours (laughs) like 
that's a ton of hours. And that's, that's assuming you take 65 rest days, which you don't, but you can't train three hours every day. There's travel days, blah, blah, blah. But what I'm trying to say is there's so many more hours in every day and, and energy management is the name of the game. And that's how, that's what separates a lot of, uh, legendary athletes from pretty good athletes i think is they just have a much better way they just have a much better strategy to to manage their energy and i think that's a lot of athletes a lot of young athletes struggle with that and you know what you know part of energy management is too is like parking a bad race right or having a tough having a tough training session or a tough week of training when i say tough i mean like some obstacles it's not going well maybe you're getting crushed by your teammates and you're starting to feel insecure but that can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. That can be a spiral that you go down and you end up starting throwing this energy overboard into the garbage and instead of using that energy constructively to get back and feel better. And sometimes you have to just park things and say, you know what? This is this is just it's June. I had a tough week of training. It's all part of the plan. It's gonna it's okay to feel tired now as long as I'm not feeling this tired for six weeks in a row. Uh, if you can explain it away with your plan, then you should be able to to let go of, of some of these stresses. And, and I think a lot of athletes, I struggled with that in my career. There's no question about that. I mean, I'm analytical and you know, I, I struggled with confidence when it came to stuff like that all the time. So, whereas like Alex, for example, rarely did. I mean, he had thin skin sometimes. I mean, there's some periods of the year that if he got beat and stuff, he was like not happy and he would. I saw, and, I, I, I remember so. I remember the, uh, see, this was maybe the ski tour Canada. <laughs> maybe this is what I was thinking about, but way back in, not way back, but maybe 2016 in Canmore. Did it, was there like a mini tour up in Canmore? Yeah. There's a, a long, the long tour. Yeah. In 2016. Yeah. It was a long tour. I remember, I remember Alex Harvey coming across the finish line and like, you know, cause the, the kids, I think the, they let kids come in free, yeah. like no school, tons of kids. It was a weekday and Alex came across the line and just was pissed <laughs> about something, dropped a big F bomb or S bomb or something. You can, you can play it off that it was a second language. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe it was in French. I don't know, but it echoed like it was like a pin drop yeah. and I was like, Ooh, Boop. he is angry and I forget what it was, but yeah. Okay. So he gets pissed. But he got no, it. no, he does. He, he totally does. But I, I, what I think is amazing with an athlete like Alex or or Teresa is um, they're, they're amazing at en managing their energy and their responses and training. And, uh, you know, they really believe in what they're doing. And it's just, man, if, if every athlete could just believe in, in what they were doing and trust, trust the plan that they were laid out, that that's laid out with like, if they were involved, I mean, both, both Teresa and Alex are heavily involved in their own training and, uh, that helps with the trust, but uh, man, there's a lot of energies, a lot of things you don't think is uh, energy sucking, but but um, it is. There's lots of little things that can really add up after the year, especially when you put the whole year together, right? I mean, it's one of those things. Like just just to just to think about it. It's like if I eat half a chocolate bar, like it's not a big deal. If I eat half a chocolate bar every four hours for a year that's a big deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and or it will be a big deal. I'll be big, uh, which is fine. But uh, I can't, not necessarily I can't. if you're like exercising constantly, but then I need to be like an ultra runner or something. But but uh, you know what I mean? Th these are just little things that they fall through the cracks. So Teresa, but you're absolutely right in that, you know, we all get caught up in the training, training logs and what people do for training. But there's just so much more outside of that, that, that makes it that separates a good athlete from a great one. 
Okay, a couple of questions, and these are maybe semi-personal questions, but like, you know, you got two little girls, Astrid Isabel, right? Is there a, is there a hyphen? A- Asta. Asta. Oh, Asta. Asta. I'm sorry. Ooh, that's yeah. even better. No okay, worries. Asta Isabel. Is it a hyphenated name? No, Asta no it's just two names, like okay. Norwegian style. Asta Isabel, <laughs> and she's she's the, the oldest yep. of the, the, the children, and she has two parents that were pretty decent athletes. And say she has a, a rough go of it, who knows, out in the Lillehammer Bill equivalent of the Bill Coke League. Um, do you say you have 10 minutes to let it fester? Do you say you just need to get over it? Like, what, what's the strategy? What did you learn? Is yeah, that's going to the- be tough. No, but you know, you know what a good strategy with that is, Jason? Yeah. I, I think it was a sports psychologist uh, taught me this. Cal Botterill actually is a legend. Um, but you have to let yourself be pissed. You have to be authentic with your feelings. You can't just bottle it up. We all know what happens when you bottle things up, like pressure, pressure mounts and then things explode. So, so you have to be true to yourself. If you're disappointed, if you're really bummed out, you have to let yourself be bummed out. But the strategy I used was be bummed out. You can like for sure in the cool down be bummed, but like when your hand touches the door to your hotel room, like back when you're back at the hotel and your hand first touches that, that, that door, it's over. When you open that door, you have to leave that behind because there's another race the next day. And you need your energy and you need to recover and you can't go back. You, like there is, like I was joking around yesterday, there is no DeLorean. I can't call Doc and get me blasted to the past and change what I I did what I thought I could do that would give me the best chance of success and it didn't work. So but you have to be you have to be bummed out, I think, too. You can't just pretend it doesn't bother you because you put a lot into this. So God, like let yourself be pissed. But you have to find a way to constructively move forward. And and for me, that was a big one. And the other thing I did was I like uh I journaled a lot. Uh so I would just write I would just write in a journal like pff, yeah, like just spew whatever verbal diarrhea into there and then close the close the book like, and it and they just like Devin, just you that, suck. I, <laughs> yeah, pretty much whatever. I don't know. You know what? I've never gone back and reread them, but I have tons of old journals. I never once opened them again. But but really, I just, yeah, pretty much probably be beat myself up really badly, but then just close the book and it's done. It's okay. over. Well, okay. Last, we're, we're closing on but this. I hope, I hope she's, I hope she's, I hope asked Isabel is like backcountry skiing or climbing or she will doing be, something I'm sure. else. Doing something else and putting on this spandex suit. But you know what? She's Nor- She's growing up in Norway, know, so dude. it's going to be tough, but she might, she might Nordic ski. We'll just have to see. <laughs> She'll see photos of her parents. I, but I, but I see a troll wall ascent in her oh, future. That would, wouldn't that be? You know what? I'm actually reading. I'm reading the book about the first descent of the troll right, wall right now. And oh my god! Every time I drive by there, on my way to backcountry ski in Romstal, and I just think it's mesmerizing. That thing is scary. Oh my god! And that that's like is that the biggest face in Norway? In Europe? Oh, in Europe? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It's it's 1,800 meters. Yeah, it's a beast. Bigger than the Eiger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah. Oh, sorry. In Northern Europe, you're right. It's not bigger than the North Face of the Eiger, actually. I don't think. No. But in Northern Europe, in Northern Europe. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that yeah. bad boy. I mean, do I? I again. That's yeah, two forty-five from my house. That's not far. And I know people, we're just chit-chatting here, but and people can like fast-forward through this or Google it. <laughs> the bad boy from Spain. Uh, what's his name? Killian Skeeted. Yeah, Killian skied that thing. Kind of. Yeah. You can watch the video. Okay. You know what? No, he skied. I've watched he the skied, video. Oh, yeah. He skied a couloir on the Troll Wall Massif. 
But if you if you start Googling, uh, if you really want to nerd out, or if you like climbing and you're interested in that kind of thing, I am. And yeah. you just and you just <clears throat> look at the roots up the troll wall. Like, oh my! Like, what he skied isn't isn't that? You know what I mean? I mean, but but it is insane what he did. Like, it is no insane question. when you're using two ice axes to descend with skis on your feet. No, no, totally, totally. But like, just seeing that massif Spicy. when you drive by by there and you see the massif, it's yeah. For those that have traveled to Yosemite, I mean. It just, you know, walk up to El Cap and look underneath it. And if you don't feel something, uh, I don't know, then you're a cyborg. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's uh, some of these big walls. It's uh, the adventure and just the thrill of being under one of those things. It's pretty impressive that, that athletes or, or people are motivated to try their luck on something so immense. Okay. We'll chat tomorrow as we close out the ski tour in Tron time. Yes, we will. We'll close out the ski tour in Trondheim and I hope for another great event tomorrow. And you never know, it's Trondeleg, right? Like I said, the weather sucks up there. Yes, Tronders, I said it, I meant it, I'm here to represent it. So you never know how the weather will be. Maybe Paul Goldberg can get himself back into this one, but I think the men's is wrapped up with Bolshinov and Terezio Hug. If she doesn't win, if she doesn't win tomorrow, then something weird happens. Something weird. Okay. Have a great evening. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Jason. See ya. Bye. Bye.